When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome, everyone, to Rock M Nation Podcast. Uh, this is an episode of Dive Guts. Uh, we are on season, I don't know, four, get, getting to the end of season four. I think we'll only have one more episode of season four. Uh, episode 30, shoot, one, two, what are we on now? Uh, I'm your host, Sam Snelling, with me as always, uh, by way of Interstate 70, h- hanging out there in the fair city of Indianapolis, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? I'm well, sir. Um, sort of happy that we get... Uh great great dosage of live streams from uh augusta georgia to watch uh, all the two weeks of peach jam some people like the european championships for soccer i i had up kind of just nascently in the background today uh eybl stuff so that is a uh, kind of a happy place it's a nice little uh perk in the middle of july is to get to just like occasionally look over and be like oh bbe and drive nation are playing right now cool i'll, I'll watch about 10 minutes of that <laughs> yeah. Uh, so episode thirty-three we're on. Apparently, I, I meant to look that up before we started, but you know, uh, we were we were talking about our our topic uh, for this podcast, which uh, crazy enough, Matt, uh, it is the off season. What are we going to talk about? Uh, well, Missouri recruiting. <laughs> <laughs> um, my favorite topic, your favorite topic, uh, by way of I guess the amount of traffic that we seem to get at the site. Whenever we put recruiting in the title, I would say most people's favorite topic. Uh, and uh, yeah, and something that I, I think people may, may have accused me of stirring the pot a little bit. Um, this past weekend, I wrote uh, not one, but two uh, posts 
on recruiting, mainly because uh, the first one, so I've, I've been kind of planning on this already. Um, but the main thing that I was planning on is, is basically kind of doing a breakdown of how we can actually figure out, you know, football recruiting success versus basketball recruiting success and how they can compare. Uh, mainly because, you know, you hear like a lot of people talking about, oh, like, you know, drinks killing it on the recruiting trail and all this kind of stuff. It's like, all right, well, um, let's let's figure out, you know, how comparable football because football and basketball are nearly impossible to compare. Um you know, because the objective in football is so different. The miss rate in, in football players is so much higher. Uh, you're you're basically hoping that like a third to a half of each recruiting class is, are going to give you, you know, production. Uh, whereas basketball, you need like, you need like 75% of those guys to actually have an impact. Um, and the more that you miss in basketball, then obviously the more dire things are going to be. Um you know, and so kind of having that margin of error with like three or four players versus 25 players is uh, is quite a difference on its own. Um, so kind of what I did is I, I basically just kind of went through. Uh, I didn't really look at like individuals. I just looked at like the ratings on 247 Sports. And I just sort of kind of wrote down uh, like how many guys were rated within a range um, you know, uh, 247 Sports uses like, I guess, uh, 1,000 as, as being their, uh, um, you know, the, the highest that you can rate a kid, uh, basically being a 1, I think, 1.0000. Yep. Uh, and then 99, 100, 9800, all with a decimal point in front of it. Um, and it's interesting, like, how quickly the, uh, the ratings in football decrease and basketball. They really don't. Um, I don't know. Did, did did you look over? I thought I shared with you the the sort of uh, spreadsheet that I was kind of using to kind of build all that out. Um, I, I think you did. I, the one thing I think that's nice, I think it's easier to have a little bit more of a finite or a finer grain with basketball recruits because, simply put, there aren't as many of them that you have in the in the in the ratings. I think two, four, sevens like composite only goes out to like, if you click and go through, it only goes up to about two fifty. It goes way, way further than that in football. And you'll notice that it gets really, really granular, like a thousandth of a decimal point in some cases between two prospects and sometimes even like 0.05 between three. So it gets really, really fine uh, in the composite in basketball. As well, compared to football, and uh, so two four seven has been expanding the amount of uh, players that they do grade out. Um, now, I I think that those numbers tend to grow uh, with more exposure, because um, so for basically what I did is I looked at twenty seventeen for vo- both football and basketball, and then I looked at twenty twenty two and twenty twenty one because those are kind of like the two Eli Drinkwitz classes, um, but I thought. 2017 would be a since that was Conzo Martin's first year, um, I guess first official recruiting class. Uh, you know, w- would be kind of a good barometer. So there were like 619 players that were graded by 247 Sports, and they were like you know 7600 and uh, and up. Uh, but there isn't there, there's not a whole lot of uh, traction. I think once you kind of get to uh, the kids that are like 8,300 and down, uh, 
yeah. where whereas with football, like I actually I did not count all the football players because at one point like my web browser got so uh like overloaded with the amount of data that was on the screen. Like I just couldn't, I couldn't like really run scroll. <laughs> yeah. Like it was becoming a, a, a pain in the butt. I think what was it? 3,041 players uh, yeah. were graded 77 uh, hundred or above in 2017. Um, that number was 207 or, or 2,718 were graded 7,400 or above in 2021 and we've only graded it uh, graded about 1450 players in 2022 so i would i would expect by the time uh, by the time the 2022 class wraps up that number is probably close to doubled yeah and you'll see sometimes in basketball there'll be some late rankings like forever caleb brown had no rating like that was one of those kind of confounding things we went through, you know, him committing last, you know, last summer through an entire senior season all the way up through, I think like late May wasn't until late May that two, four, seven gave Caleb Brown a ranking. I think he wound up at like the equivalent. If you like multiply his decimal rating by a hundred, like an 82 out of a hundred. And he was number three twenty two in the composite. So forever, like Caleb just was not rated, and then he was. And I think the hard part is in this particular cycle, and we can talk about this, is because last year was basically like, could you watch every live stream and like rate guys? That was hard. And were those teams that were on live streams giving you accurate rosters? Like, I remember almost every recruiting reporter at some point last May and June being like, guys, please, like, at the top of your team's Twitter page, (laughs) post your accurate roster so we know who's playing. Like, there are jersey numbers were not readable. Like, it's been a really tough scouting environment for every, for both sports during this entire, you know, during this entire pandemic. And so once, you know, staffs have been able to get out on the road in June. And once we've had you know, recruiting writers out, it feels like a lot of them are playing catch up and just trying to get guys into the ratings, trying to figure out where they are. And, you know, I think you and I have talked in the past that the 2021 and 22 classes are just going to be weird because there hasn't been a prototypical scouting cycle for them. And like, while sometimes scouts can like text with assistants and kind of like get feedback and try and adjust and, gather intel and try and factor all that in. It's just been such a disrupted environment that I think you're going to see, you know, wide swings and ratings. Like Chandler Jackson jumped 50-plus spots in May. But that was the first time, like, really, you know, the the majority of the scouting community was sort of able to get out and get eyes on him with Team Thad. And so I think you're going to see that to a certain degree. Maybe not as wild a swing or a jump is that, but I think you're going to see that sort of happen as we move through July and maybe into the prep season a little bit. There's going to be some adjustments and some rating and guys going into the ratings at last because people have finally watched enough of them to feel like they can assess a grade on them. Yeah. And kind of in regards to um, 
I guess some of the pushback on uh, on Christian Jones and his commitment, uh, you know, from some of the unhappier uh, segments of the fan base. Uh, like, you know, one of the common refrains is like, "Well, I mean, he's he's playing for BBE, and he should he should be seen by." Uh, you know, by scouts at this point, you know, but I flat out asked uh, a pretty prominent national scout, like what his thoughts were. And he's like, I don't know. I haven't seen him. And yep. so it's like, I mean, like, I like, well, he's on BBE. He's like, yeah, I haven't had a chance to see BBE. So, you know, it's like, that's what kind of what we're talking about. Um, I tend to think, and look, like even Caleb Brown, uh, uh, Brown, who went was unranked for a long time, uh, even he wound up being like a like a three star. It was a low three star, but it was a three star. Yeah. Um, like that's what Christian Jones is going to end up being somewhere in there. Uh, how how good is he? Like I don't. Uh, you watched him play, and and I don't I don't think Mizzou is looking at Christian Jones as a guy who's going to you know come in and be an all SEC performer. Um, you know, but, but he's a good developmental piece. He's a, he's a point guard with great size, good length, good vision. Uh, and he's a guy that you can develop. And if you can develop him offensively, uh, then I think you're, you're, you're kind of getting into the range where you're, you're getting a guy who can be, uh, an impact player. Um, you know, or not like, I don't really see him impacting the team a whole lot as a freshman, just because he's coming into, uh, potentially a roster with a whole lot of seniors and a whole lot of sophomores. Uh, and, and a lot of those guys who we think are are good. Um, but I think the likelihood that maybe as a sophomore, uh, provided he's patient and, and sticks with it, uh, that he's a sophomore, like he's a guy who who could kind of step into a uh, a reserve role and, and really help the team and, and do more so as a junior and senior. Yeah, I, I went to Chicago uh, this past weekend uh, to watch BBE playing kind of a warm-up event for the Peach Jam and talk to Jones for about 10 minutes for a piece that hopefully I'll get to at some point. And, he, you know, speaking to him, he knows he's not a finished product. You know, he talked about, you know, I feel like I've got to get stronger. I feel like I can improve a little bit more on the ball defensively and holding up a little bit sometimes in pick and rolls. And, you know, he says he's working with the East St. Louis staff because he knows that he depends a little too much on his floater and he needs to get better finishing through contact. Like, He's a guy who's clearly aware that he's not showing up a finished product and that he's got to develop, and he knows where he wants to go, and Missouri sold him on a plan to help make that happen. So I think there's a self-awareness there, which is always good to hear from guys about where they've got to go and what they've got to do to get better. But like you watch him on the floor, and I, I watch BBE for two games, um, but I've also watched, I think, five or six of East St. Louis's games. Like You, you see him on the floor physically next to a guy like Nick Smith, who's a five-star prospect in this class, top 25 prospect. Jones is a little bit longer, taller, um, but frame-wise does not, you know, doesn't look like a guy who's not a D1-level prospect. You know, you see him next to Kellen Thames, and he's definitely who committed to SLU and who had a Missouri offer. A little bit longer and rangier in terms of his physical build. Um, So he looks good on the hoof. He looks like a division one prospect. I think the difference with him is, and I, we kind of mentioned it in the piece that we wrote on him after he committed. He's more of a glider than, you know, a quick twitch guy. So he's not going to blow by a defender off the bounce 
He's going to understand how to use his dribble efficiently. He's going to understand how to how to kind of play in gaps and how to sort of use angles and sort of maneuver his way places on the floor. But like you watch his decision making, the ball in his hand, his decision making was right up there in certain stretches with Nick Smith or with Jeremy Spears, who are both guys in front of him. Athletically, he's just a little bit behind them. You know, he's not quite the same level athlete as those guys. And that's really, I think, sometimes you and I talk about it. That's not to say top 50 guys aren't unskilled and just getting solely, getting by solely on, you know, raw physical ability. But it's a major differentiator in a lot of senses for those guys. I mean, it, if you are looking at those guys, there are elite 1% athletes in that group. But I think as you watch Jones, particularly defensively, you know, He's got good length. He understands how to use it. He is tenacious on the ball. You know, he's pretty good off the ball. Um, BBE kind of switched up defenses between press and kind of changed some of its coverages and ball screens and stuff. But, you know, you watch him and think you can see all the sort of projectable traits that Missouri has there. They're not going to be there in year one. He's not going to be a guy, I think, you like you said, who you throw on the floor. But you watch him and you think there are some there are some physical attributes. There are some natural sort of skill sets that, if you put it all together, he can be a pretty quality rotational guard for you. Um, I know that's probably not what some segments of the fan base want to hear. I think <laughs> you know they're tired of us talking about landing rotational pieces, but I think if you watch him, he's going to be a solidly rated three-star guy, and you know can come in and if he works well and if he works hard, I think he can find a place, kind of as a ball handler, even if it's in a secondary role, but it's definitely not, you know, I would have argued it's not as big of a reach as we saw for a guy like a Christian guess who was just hundred percent athlete who was, you're going to have to kind of like teach how to play basketball. This isn't a situation like that at all. It, this guy's got some skills. He's got some traits that I think are, that are going to translate. It's just going to take some patience there. Um, Again, who knows what he would have done if he had blown up this July, gone to Peach Jam and put together a monster performance and teams had moved in, you know, and there's still time for that to happen or potential that it could happen. You know, I think fans would then rue Missouri not getting in there fast enough. So it's it's a yin and a yang, and, you know, I think you just have to understand that, you know, if he's not rated now, when he gets rated, he's probably going to be a three-star guy then that's a developmental prospect, and it's going to be on the staff to make good on that. And uh, mm-hmm. we'll have to see how that happens. So I uh, I guess didn't quite see that the uh, the ratings for 247 uh, were updated. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or maybe it was the, uh, <laughs> the composite rating that was updated. Um, but at least Aiden Shaw uh, got bumped up to 51. Yep. Yep. Good for him. Like, you and I have... I mean, so we have long been fans. There's a reason why we've spent uh, a lot of time talking about Aiden Shaw. Uh, and it's because, like, he just has a really intriguing, you know, frame and skill set. And, and, I mean, he's got great, you know, positional length. Like, he's tall and long. He can play that 3-4 combo. Uh, just the kind of guy that, that I think fits uh, really well uh, on the Missouri roster. Um, and he had not really seen uh, his stock take off and and i think this is kind of the thing that you and i we, like we've talked about before about uh you know guys kind of re- 
you know, playing themselves out of uh, where I think Missouri is is feeling comfortable in the recruitment. Um, and you look at, uh, you know, for example, like Caleb Love was a guy who uh, like blew up. And once the blue buds start, you know, knocking, that becomes really difficult to kind of keep that kid at home. Um, obviously, Missouri failed to do that. And I think that, uh, so, I, you know, I think Aiden Shaw is, is, or was in that sort of same area for me um, when I was a little worried that he was, uh, he was going to basically play himself into some, uh, some really, really good uh, high level offers. And that fortunately for Missouri hasn't quite happened. So he, he has uh, made a trip out to Maryland, but I don't really think that, that I mean, I think Maryland right now is in a better place than Missouri has been. They've they've got a lot of under armor money and um, and certainly uh, some some more recent success. They do have national championship and all that kind of stuff, which uh, is nice to point to. Um, but you know, you don't really like when you think of national powerhouses, you don't think of Maryland. Um, and so them moving in, I don't think concerns me as much as uh, you know. I, whether or not, you know, Kansas makes him a priority, uh, whether or not, um, you know, he like maybe feels more comfortable at a, at a more like regional power. And I think this is, you know, why Missouri might be trending in the right way right now is, is 51 is, is kind of that scary range to me. Like if, if he bumps up like another, you know, 10 to 15 spots, um, you know, then things might get interesting, but hopefully, uh, Hopefully he kind of stays in that range and and uh and we're we're feeling good here in a few months. Yeah, I, I think the you know, I watched him today and he, you know, sort of did what you know he's done at various points this summer where he you know, he only scored five points, only attempted three shots from the floor. Um, but he was switching, he was, you know, being a good positional defender, um, you know, good rotation. He, you know, he's a guy who if he when he helps down onto the block has the size and length that he can sort of challenge bigs, but he's fluid enough that you can switch him one to four. Um, attentive off the ball, understands where to position himself pretty well. Um, the nice thing I, I think I like about him most is that, you know, he doesn't press offensively. You know, he's not a guy who, if he's not getting touches on the offensive end of the floor, he's going to sort of go to sleep defensively or not be engaged there. You know, he's going to, you know, stay locked in defensively. He didn't rebound as much today. Terrace Reed was uh, kind of being a monster today. Um, and Mokan, I think he's in a little bit of a weird way uh, going into this week because Sky Clark, their five-star point guard, uh, has an ACL injury, is out. So they they are trying to sort through some ball handling stuff, and they looked a little bit rickety on offense. They had like 19 turnovers in a 32-minute game or something today. Blue, yeah, the, the turnover rate was not good. Uh, they shot, uh, based off this, uh, eight, they shot the ball pretty well today. Um, but Bryson Warren needed 13 shots to get 13 points and Terrace Reed had a pretty good day. I think he had um, 21 on 14 shots, but point being is, you know, you watch Shaw and, you know, I, every time I've tuned in, there's been at least one or two games when Mo Can's played where he's just comfortable being a stopper. And I think that's the thing I've always liked about him is that, you know, some guys will talk about, you know, they like defending, they like doing it, but on a loaded roster, he will embrace that role. You know, he's 
going to be a guy who starts for them and is going to be a switch defender. He's going to rebound hard. He's going to do what he needs to do on that end of the floor. Um, I think it'll be interesting what happens to his stock through the next two weeks. Um, it'll, And we're not going to, I think, know kind of what he's thinking because uh, media can be there, but they can't interview these guys. Uh, so it'll be sort of weird, you know, if he has a breakout, you know, what he's thinking or how that changes his view on things. We won't know um, immediately. And I say that because, you know, he's been pretty consistent in telling folks that he would like to make a decision before he goes to Link, Link Academy in August. Um, and that means there's only about three or four weeks until that happens. He's got one other official visit left to Arkansas. So it feels like, I think I told you this earlier, it feels like you're entering the home stretch right now. And maybe Arkansas makes a, a late play. I know Maryland had a couple guys on its board commit elsewhere this week. Maybe do they reprioritize him and sort of push him up higher up the board? So there's still some room there, but I, I think if you look around at other programs recruiting him, he's kind of second or third on the board for them. And that's not a knock on him, but it's just that Kansas is pursuing guys like MJ Rice or Chris Livingston or Maryland's you know going after Cam Whitmore. There are guys that at those programs that may be a little bit in front of him right now, and you know based on you know reporting out there, Iowa. You know, got a visit, but doesn't seem thick in, in the thick of it. You know, will Oklahoma State? I've always felt like Oklahoma State might be sneaky, but they hosted MJ Rice on a visit. So, just where does he fit on the boards of other teams? Because I think we feel pretty safe in saying he's at the top of Mizzou's board. And is that priority enough? Is that relationship with Zoe enough to finish it off? I think the next couple of weeks are going to be kind of in the you know indicative of where that goes. But we'll see. I, I think we're closer to the home stretch. And, you know, I, I know you feel pretty good about their chances here. And I, I feel moderately confident that they can close <laughs> this one out. Yeah, I think you're always more reserved in these things than I am. Um, I, I mean, it's we've we've laid out the, you know, the table and like, you know, who's uh, who's in contention. Um, you know, if if he's really talking about committing in August, like, I just don't think there's a whole lot of time for uh for a blow up to happen particularly when there's a lot of guys still on the board and and i think the more uh more of those uh higher level guys that are on the board are going to help missouri's case uh but i also think like you know i think you have to kind of give consul martin and his coaching staff some credit like they have not landed those guys but like consul knows how to recruit uh, he has landed a lot of big time players in the past, uh, so he he knows what he's doing. He knows what it takes. He's just had a difficult time kind of overcoming, um, you know, the whatever perceptions. And I, I mean, it's 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 one thing like you miss out on EJ Liddell. I think that's probably the biggest miss to me, because um, it really did seem like it came down to like Missouri, Illinois, or Ohio State, and. and like Ohio State is a better basketball program than Missouri is. Ohio State's a better basketball program than Illinois is. Um, Ohio State's probably a top fifteen uh, level program, but you know that is a guy who everybody said when he was kind of going through the process is like this is a guy who is going to be a great, great college player, and he ended up being a great, great college player. 
um, you know, still is, I guess he's still enrolled at Ohio state, <laughs> um, you know, but, but not, uh, not somebody that you really fear is going to, uh, you know, come in and, and leave too soon, even though he, he did test the waters, uh, you know, after his sophomore year, I, I don't think there was any real risk of Ohio state not getting him for at least three years. Um, you know, so I think like, that's why that's a miss. Like Caleb Love, I mean, like when something like that happens, a kid blows up, he gets interest from Duke, it's North Carolina. It's all, it's all like the, the blue buds are knocking on his door. Like I get it. I get losing that battle. But, you know, to me, Aiden Shaw is the guy that Zoe needs to win this one. And I, I think that he's going to. Yeah. I, I also think he kind of knows that he needs to also. <laughs> yeah. I, the one thing I'm sort of, the one prospect I'm more intrigued with this sort of week, less so with, with Shaw is is Chandler Jackson, just because I think you and I have talked about. There's a world in which if they could land Jackson and Jones, that that works. You know, I know you've probably been more uh, in the camp of you know really shoring up ball handling and getting that sort of locked down. And yeah, but I haven't but I haven't seen I haven't seen Jackson. You know, you might want to have a few guys who can dribble, Matt. Just a few. Yeah, and I, you know, I've seen, you know, cut-ups of Jackson in the spring, and, you know, he looks really good. Looks like his his physique's really toned up. You know, he's more of, and I think we talked about this on the last pod, he's more of like a power, you know, kind of point. You know, he, you know, he, he you know, a little bit more sturdily built, you know, is going to, you know, put his shoulder into you. He can play through that contact. um, Just kind of almost like a bully driver more than anything else. And can play some bully ball, but I haven't seen him with Team Thad uh, this spring, so I'm more intrigued to see him over the next couple of days. I think they play tomorrow night at eight o'clock, so I'm probably going to tune in and watch that game just to get eyes on him. But I, I think there's a, an argument to be made that if they were not to land Shaw, but they were to get Jackson, that you know, fortifying your ball handling and you know being able to push Anton Brookshire for more of a scoring point role into a combo role and, you know, having Jerron Coleman kind of toggle between the combo spot and the wing might just give your uh, backcourt a little bit more of a logical sort of setup. Um, And I think it's always good to have two different types of point guards. I think it's nice to give yourself some flexibility there. Um, But, you know, I've got to see more of Jackson this week before I, you know, really start to feel any particular way uh, about his game just because I, I want to see him. I think the only time I've seen him was two two games from like January when he was playing with this high school team and his he looks substantially different now. So um, I, I kind of want to see that before I go, you know, too far in any direction on saying, you know, he's a clear pivot if you don't get Shaw. Well, yeah, and I, I think it's clear at this point that they would like to get both of them. Um if you're looking at who is maybe the more like important recruit for the letter of the roster, I think, uh, I think it's Jackson. Uh, and I don't know that they have as quality of backups um, lined up behind Jackson as they do, you know, if, if Shaw were to pop somewhere else, but also, but also with Shaw, like, I mean, positionally where he fits is already a fairly um, well-established position on the roster. Um, so, you know, it really, it wouldn't 
be the end of the world roster wise. Uh, I just think, I mean, we've talked about like the ceiling and all that kind of stuff. And I think he certainly helps the ceiling top 50 guy. I think he has NBA potential uh, as a kind of a three and D guy. And if you get that, then I, I think you're, you're feeling a lot better. Um, And I certainly think like, you know, the, the vocal detractors of, of Zoe and his recruiting so far, uh, are feeling a lot better if if you're coming coming out of a class um, with uh, with with Shaw and and, and Jackson and uh, and Jones. I think like that's a that's as that's a dream scenario right now. If if you're Missouri, um, unless unless Isaac Trout's still on uh, on on the radar, man. I know I know he's one of your favorites. Uh, and did you see you see Hollander? Hollander was watching him. Uh, he's still fighting the fighting the battle. I, I, mean, I mean, I watched Nick Smith play this weekend. It doesn't mean that I think you know he's he's in line for Missouri. You know, I think you. I wish that they would look at Jason Green off of Isaac Trout's team. I really like that kid. He's. Uh, I would encourage people if you really want to get wonky to go look up Jason J A S E N Green. Um, Missouri called him last year when he was still with Mocan last June, but he kind of went to a home state program in Nebraska Supreme, and he's he's a really intriguing prospect. Like, just he's already physically mature, but he's six foot six. You can play him as like a small ball four and five. Like he will he can post. He's got a pretty competent handle. He can space. He can pick and pop. He's just or you can just play him as a straight wing. He's just got all kinds of flexibility. Positional flexibility. Um, his recruitment is probably further along than necessary for Missouri to get involved, but I was always kind of hoping they would take a look at Green because I thought he was sort of an interesting, sort of multi-dimensional fit for them if if they wanted to get involved there. But Missouri never really dove headlong into that. So maybe Hollander was watching Jason Green and was like, "Hey, this guy's pretty good." Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, so Hollander was at the game where Trout was, and I, you know, I think, you know, these recruiting analysts are like, hey, like Isaac Trout's playing, and and here's here are the coaches in attendance, and it doesn't necessarily mean that the coaches is, is watching that player. I think Trout already released a list, and, and Missouri. He's already taken it. five visits, and Missouri was not one of the stops. Um, we can talk about too the board clearing out a little bit. <laughs> Missouri went on that run of offering BBE guys in late June, and. Well, within two weeks, they were all they all picked their spots. Um, Connor Turnbull, uh, a guy I really liked, uh, held off a commitment to Butler um, for a long time. Let Missouri. I like that fit a lot, actually. You know, like I, I think I think it could have worked for him uh, at Missouri. I really do. Like I think it could have worked. He's perfect within the Butler system. He's a pitch perfect buy for them. And I um, and I think the Big East is a, is a better fit for him overall skill wise. Like you know, the SEC is an athletic league, um, and and I'm not saying Turnbull isn't a good athlete. I think he is actually a a, a solid athlete. Watching him life, he's he's not stiff. He he no. moves pretty well, and he's he just doesn't have freakish hops. But the, he's not slow off the floor. Two feet off the floor, he's pretty good. He's yeah. He's really fluid. I watched him screen and sort of operate moving around the perimeter. He is comfortable in space, which is perfect for what Butler's going to do with him as a pick-and-pop guy. They're going to want to space him to the corner at times. You know, he's going to be able to get post touches and operate in the mid-post a little bit. He's going to fit. jumpers for days. Yeah, he's going to be perfect (laughs) for them. Um, But, you know, seeing him up close, he's – 
he's going to be a really great fit for them. But he, Missouri and Slew got in there, but Butler had been on him for a while. Um, and no surprise, he popped there. One of Butler's assistants was in Chicago, just checking up on him, just watching. So uh, I think that's a really nice fit. And then Kellen Thames, uh, I believe late last week, what was it, Thursday or Friday, that he uh, committed to SLU, um, which I you'd watched more of him on film than I had. I got to watch him this weekend and sneakier athleticism than I thought. You know, if he gets a step and goes off two feet, he can finish and he can put one on your head. He did a couple of times this weekend. He's He's got some sneaky bounce to him. Um, I think he's more of a straight combo to a wing than a point. Uh, this weekend, he didn't really run the point at all. He played off the ball a lot, but I think he's a guy who's going to fit well at, at SLU. Um, I think he's a solidly three-star guy. I think Missouri could have found a, found a way to fit him in, but if they were looking for more of a straight point, I get why they took Jones. I, I th- And again, that's not a knock on Kellen Thames. I'm sure if any SLU fans heard this, they would say it's Missouri trying to exp- a Missouri guy trying to explain away why the kid picked SLU or trying to downplay it. No, if there are any SLU fans listening, you got a really great prospect. He's going to be a really good fit for what Travis Ford wants to do. Um, I think that just positionally, Missouri probably needed to go more towards a point than a combo in that sort of setup. But he looked... He, I think he looks like he's going to be a, clearly comfortable in the Atlantic 10. I, I think he's going to be a really good college player. I just, yeah. you know, like, I think the ceiling on, on Jones is probably higher. Um, I just like, I really like Thames. Uh, no, you can see, you can see that he, he can fit. Yeah. He's that a he can smart, move guy. Yeah. You, you could tell like his dad played. It's just one of those things. Like you, you always know, when you kind of watch kids, like if they grew up around the game that there's just like intuition on certain things, you know, particularly defense and how they, you know, work at spacing the floor, how they look spacing the floor, um, you know, how they're able to kind of, you know, manipulate and control, control defenders. It's, there's, it's just one of those things that like you, you learn by, by being around it. And, and you can tell, like, I, I, I'm happy that he's staying close, you know, cause I, I, I do watch a, not a lot of slew games, but I do watch them. So I'm, I'm looking forward to watching him kind of develop. And I, th- I think that'll be fun. Uh, yeah. And it'll, it'll certainly be, you know, be fun for like the slew Mizzou discourse to sort of watch, uh, you know, Jones and, and Thames. I, you know, I just think Thames is probably uh, more of a sure thing as far as like, you know, being a good college player. And I think Jones is, is more like the, you know, the bet that he can kind of figure it out. And, um, you know, he, he, he has the body, he has the, you know, the, the skills. You just got to kind of put it all together, uh, offensively. Yeah. And I, I'll be interested in a couple of weeks, uh, the Under Armour circle will be passing through Indy. So I'll be able to get, um, eyes back on Yander's law and who, uh, will have Jonathan Dunn, uh, who has a Missouri offer, coming through um i'll be interested to see uh, he looks um more of a traditional kind of like four um i just watched him the last time they came through for an event man i watched them play five games um he's more of a roller you know rim runner type of guy uh he can post but i think you're, he's gonna need some work with chris hollander on the block if he's gonna play in that spot but 
the shooting mechanics have come along. Um, so I'm really intrigued to see how he looks in about two weeks when they come through Indy. So that'll be sort of a good check-in for guys that right now seem like they're um, kind of plan B prospects on the board for Missouri right now. So that's kind of the state of play here. I think we're going to get through July. Uh, Peach Jam wraps up, not this weekend, but next weekend. And there's a break, and then we get into August. And that's about the time you start seeing lists cut and guys start committing. So we're getting into the where rubber meets road, uh, to borrow a cliche, with some of these guys. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how the board finally shakes out as, as we move into the fall. Yeah, and I, I mean, I really don't think, um, you know, like if, if Missouri is able to, you know, land Shaw at some point in August, um, you know, it looks like Jackson's timeline is a little longer. I think they'll they'll be more than willing to kind of sit on on that one. Um, but it'll certainly be interesting to see, uh, you know, if they do sort of get their guy with Shaw, what happens uh, if they maybe fall in love with somebody else uh, at the point guard spot, um, you know, during Peach Jam or that, you know, the following, uh, you know, following weeks in the, the AAU circuit and all that. Uh, so there's there's definitely like we're definitely getting to the the point in the summer where a lot of things start to kind of shake loose. I think Missouri has their their board pretty solid right now. Uh, if either of those two guys want to commit, they'll probably just sew it up and call it a day for the 2022 class. Um, you know, but I I do think there's some potential for us to maybe you know see a couple more offers go out. Uh, you know, once they actually get their eyes on guys at Peach Jam. Yeah, and it, it'll be interesting to see who they, how many more they throw out. They're at about twenty six or twenty seven offers. Missouri under Martin has never really got blown past thirty, and I can't, you know, they've thrown out some, you know, late in the summer. You know, if there's a guy who absolutely, and I think of like a Jericho Helms, you know, his Zoe's first year who just blew up at Peach Jam and they got in, but he had he still had time to commit so. It'll be interesting how much time is left for some of these guys. Um, I think the reason why you saw, you know, you know, even a guy like Turnbull or Thames commit is you get into a spot where do you want to risk it in July hunting for more offers when you've got a slot available and you're happy? Do you just take it and commit if you like your spot or do you weigh it out and, and what, and, you know, see if you can earn bigger offers. So, I think sometimes you see guys commit before they go out on July in July just because, you know, they would rather take the bird in the hand and they feel comfortable with what they have and they just decide that they want to end the recruitment there and just focus on July and go into their senior year with that off their back. So I think we saw a little bit of that a couple of weeks ago. But Jackson and Shaw, uh, as you said, are probably going to take this out a little bit longer. Shaw probably, you know, wrapping up sooner than Jackson. Yeah. Um, I mean, is there anything that we need to kind of go into on the, uh, the financial impact, uh, <laughs> of budgets on recruiting? Uh, so, so I, you know, I do kind of want to tease a little bit because I mean, you, you did a lot of, uh, legwork to go in and figure out, um, a lot on, on staff pay. And I don't, I don't necessarily think we need to, you know, I, I guess, Rewrite your what you're planning on publishing here, but it's certainly like it, it sort of 
I feel like the two pieces that I wrote were at least providing a little bit of a table setting for yeah. for the like the meat of the work which you did uh and, and talking about like why we actually think Missouri needs more investment into basketball. I'll I'll try and be pretty succinct here. Like there are three relationships that I've always that you know most of us intuitively, you know, think, you know, impact success. How much does a program spend on basketball? Does that expenditure allow them to have the resources to bring in talent that will improve on court performance? So it's not like a core, it's not a causation thing. There's, if you look at the relationships between what programs spend over time, you know, the quality of recruit they land over time and their on court performance over time, you see pretty strong correlations, you know, given other variables are in play and, you know, we can go down a statistical, you know, rabbit hole explaining it, but the metrics that sort of like at a top level for correlating those things are pretty strong. So we can say that there's a relationship between what a program spends and the quality of recruit it brings in and it's on court success. Um, for Missouri, since it moved to the SEC, it's typically been between like 39th and 67th among high majors in spending and it's total hoop expenses. Um, if you look at how that, you know, correlates out, Missouri should be landing a kid that's like around 0.90 in the, it correlates to around a 0.90 recruit rating. That's about what Missouri's done since moving to the SEC. If you were to like look at like the line of best fit and where it's spending overlaps with or lines up with that line of best fit for average wins, it's about 18 or 19 wins. So like if you were to look at Missouri's budget since moving to the SEC, you'd expect them to land a kid that's like around 160 or 170 in the composite and for Missouri to win 18 or 19 games a year. Like that's not like a projection. That's just kind of looking at where things kind of land with the line of best fit and with correlations and stuff. That's about what Missouri's done withstanding, you know, the Kim Anderson debacle. And so <laughs> when I talk about like why I don't get upset about Missouri's performances is because if you were to like look at the baseline indicators for the kind of talent it should get and for the kind of on-court performance we should have, at least under Conzo Martin, when there hasn't been injuries, that's been what it is. Um, the question is, if you're going to, you know, ramp up the budget, where does that happen? Um, recruiting budgets can be a little bit weird just because, like, if you're a staff jetting all over the country and flying private and, like, your hotel accommodation, like, you can spend a lot of money if you're recruiting nationally. Or if, like, you're pretty good at, like, working your local recruiting ground, like, if you're Purdue and you're really good at recruiting Indiana you can keep your budget down a little bit. You know, you can go find two or three in-state guys and, you know, you can work into Ohio or Michigan. You're not going to run up like a huge, you know, recruiting bill. A lot of it is going to be head coach pay and staff pay. And if you look at Missouri staff pay, the records across the SEC are kind of incomplete and FOIA rules are different for every state's for every state a little bit. But Missouri, at least in the last couple of years, has been towards the lower end of staff pay. 
in the SEC. Like I'd probably say they're between like 10th and 13th. I need to go back and pull other records for that, but I feel pretty safe in saying they're somewhere around there. So if you're looking well, at like, I think, so if I, if I can kind of hop in and interrupt, like yeah. I think one of the things that, that boosted that was when they did sort of make the Porter play. Yeah. They, which, which they very clearly did not, plus a year. did not pay off as we all would like it to. Um, but there was an investment there. And it, like, I don't, I don't want to be seen as like constantly going after the admin for not spending when without pointing out when they do. Uh, That's like, fair. Like the locker room upgrades and and the things that that they have needed to do for several and that, years and they're doing gets, now. Like that's good. That gets me to the point though. Relative to its peers, Missouri's spending has not moved. Like so, Missouri's year over year spending is higher than it was back when it moved into the SEC. It spends three million dollars more now than it did when it moved to the SEC. Its ranking among high majors though has not moved. Like it's still in the 40s and 50s which tells you that relative to its peers it is not like passing anyone it's basically doing a cola adjustment on spending and yes there are some outlays like locker room upgrades or you know the porter contract that are in there but like overall if you were to look at just total expenses and the accounting for that missouri is about in the same place it was when it moved into the sec um so I always tend to think like if you're going to look at where Missouri is going to invest, is it, you know, in staff pay, you know, if Conzo wanted to, you know, make changes or go out and add someone, would he have the budget to do it? You know, that's something that would have to be reported out by the folks in Columbia, but that's sort of always been my point, which is if you just though look at from a very high level, Missouri's investment basically is that of a program that's, towards the lower middle class of high majors and the results have backed that up. And if you're frustrated by that, you're by all rights, you can be. I just think sometimes it's a little bit of a fool's errand to get upset that your program that's 50th in spending is not performing at a top 25 level. Like Gonzaga has passed Missouri in spending. Creighton has passed Missouri in spending. For a while, Wichita State in Houston and other AAC programs were comparable to Missouri in spending. And so if you're going to complain about Missouri's on-court performance, I think you have to understand or at least have the context to where you know that there are other programs out there that are ramping up investment. You know, we talked about Houston. Houston's budget now is, I think, north of $8 million. They opened a $30 million practice facility. They've renovated their on campus arena like they are competing like a high major they are in the aac which has you know you know some shallower depth but they're competing at that level they're they're spending at that level cincinnati another aac program is you know renovated its arena it's you know paying you know substantially you know higher salaries as well there are programs out you know you look at memphis another aac program they fired penny hardaway there are programs out there that even if they're not in a power five conference, maybe are a little bit more committed budgetarily to the sport. And so I think it's just you, once you look around at Missouri's peers and you sort of understand that from a financial perspective, Missouri's not even in the upper half of its, you know, cohort of conference of power conference teams. It's just hard for me to be upset that they're not consistently in the top 25 because you know, broadly speaking, 
the dollars would tell you that there's a correlation between spending and winning. And Missouri is spending like a team where 18, 19, 20 wins is the baseline. And, you know, what can they do to move that outside of hoping that Conzo Martin overachieves? So that's that's just sort of the relationship and sort of what I've been working on. And hopefully uh, after we do the SEC roster review, I'll be able to finally write that piece. Yeah, and I certainly like, I th- I think it's, it's an interesting exercise because uh, I, very clearly Missouri doesn't have the financial wherewithal of some other athletic departments. Um, they don't have the the donor base that like Alabama or Georgia, uh, who who have like you know football programs that basically spend what Missouri's entire athletics program spends. Um, you know, not to a T, but close, and and it's difficult to you know compete um with that level of an uneven playing field um in football and so that's like like you kind of mentioned is it a fool's errand a little bit to to invest as much as missouri has to uh you know and into football and i i would like i would make an argument that i don't necessarily think it's a fool's errand as long as you keep your expectations within uh, within reason, like, are you trying to move? Are you expecting to move ahead of like those top six six programs in the SEC? Or are you just trying to move ahead of the middle of the pack? Like, are you trying to get ahead of Kentucky? Because I or think South you can Carolina. get, yeah, like I think you can reasonably expect to get ahead of those teams, and then you know you have one of those years where the timing is right, and you can sort of take advantage of uh, you know the the stars aligning a little bit. And and make uh, a championship game or make a playoff or if they expand the playoffs, be in the playoffs with a little bit more regularity. Um, you, but basketball is different, you know, because there's a you know like and the the example that I sort of threw out a little bit uh, was was Illinois. Like Illinois has made a very big financial commitment to basketball, um, and and Illinois is a a regional rival. So here is a team who was willing to give an assistant coach a million dollars to coach to to get players. That's basically what Orlando Antigua is. I mean, he's he's, he's an average getter. basketball coach. He's a player getter. And he is he has gotten Illinois players. And John Calipari liked it when Orlando Antigua was getting him players. Uh so he offered uh him and and Chin Coleman to to move to Kentucky and to get him players instead of Brad Underwood. And Illinois put that cash on the table. And is there any scenario where you can see Missouri making the same play? No. Right. <laughs> like, and I think that to me, like that is what I mean when I like when I talk about commitment. Uh, are you willing to do what it takes? And and like Missouri had a phenomenal softball season. And Tennessee came in and poached their top two assistants. They went on to make more money at Tennessee. I realize softball is not the 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 same kind of you know financial windfall that that basketball and football can be, you know. But that still shows that you know that Missouri is 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 always it will always be, uh, or at least is is always okay being a program that does a little bit more with less and and. And that's their expectation. Is that expectation the the athletics program is to is to 
do with what we have uh, and to exceed expectations. And that's I just think, really difficult to do. Like you look at Arkansas. I think Arkansas last year paid over 850000 in staff pay. I think if you looked at what Missouri was, Missouri was closer to like 610 or something. Like to, the difference is really they paid more money to have David Patrick on their staff. And then Oklahoma came in and gave David Patrick $100,000 more, and he makes five hundred k at Oklahoma. Oklahoma, a former Big 8 regional rival, I think has a staff budget of $900,000. So if you look at Missouri and say, okay, Missouri's two, three, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000 below other programs in terms of assistant pay, that's what I'm talking about in terms of investment is, you know, it's not so much is Missouri like spending more money for its coaches flying around? Is it, are they paying guys who, and are they giving Zoe the resources if he wanted to go out and make massive, you know, upgrades to his staff? Could he do it? And if you look historically at Missouri staff pay over the last five, six, seven years, they've never come close to broaching like $800,000. And, you know, again, the market changes and certain guys want to work at certain places for certain reasons. Like money isn't the cure all there, but, or, or I think at Illinois, the cheapest coach they had was 325,000 was their lowest paid coach. I think Marco Harris made 130 last year at Missouri. So it's, again, I don't want to say like it's a uniform thing across the market, but I just think you look inside and do kind of that cursory look at the books and you start to see, well, yeah, now I know why some programs are, you know, outperforming us. They're spending more in certain areas where, you know, it shows up on the floor. And I don't think we've ever advocated for Missouri just to throw around $12 million to throw around 12 million bucks. I think you can still be strategic with your investments. Like you can be strategic with your coaching and your salary pool for staff you can or your support staff whether it's strength and conditioning whether it's you know nutrition whether it's any of those sort of areas that sort of deal with with the player experience can you invest strategically there um you know Missouri's doing some upgrades in the locker room and player you know sort of common areas that's a fine 1.4 million dollar investment that's that's smart that's good money you know I, so I don't think you have to like say we're going to like triple or we're going to like take our budget up 25, 30%. I think what you and I have talked about is are there strategic ways you can infuse some more money into the budget to, you know, really target areas that are going to show up on the floor. And I think that's what I would have always advocated for is I just don't think you need to throw money around. I think you can be smart about where you want to put it and you can be strategic. So that's, I think that's what I what hope people will take away from when I eventually get around to writing this thing is, you know, it's not just a blank check. It's just taking a strategic look at where can we close gaps or where can we, you know, be, you know, pretty thoughtful about putting dollars. Yeah. And, uh, I'd also like to make, a the, the my final point, uh, was there was a guy on, on Twitter who was sort of, you know, talking about how Missouri has invested and, you know, because, and his, one of his examples was, you know, because they made Conzo Martin the highest paid coach in school history. And <laughs> it's like you were saying earlier, like, that's great. 
uh, and he is exactly making more than every coach uh, in Missouri school history. But you know what? Like, so is every other Power Five conference coach right now. Um, you can pretty much go up and down the board, and the guy who is sitting in that seat uh, is making more than anybody else in history. Now, there there will be some exceptions if, uh, you know, like I'm, I'm sure, uh, who's the, uh, the head coach at Travis Steele, right? At, at Xavier. Yeah. So he's yeah. probably making less than, uh, than what Chris Mack was playing. But Chris Mack, like, had Xavier in, uh, on the doors of the final four. Yeah. Uh, they, they were a one seed. <laughs> like, uh, like, so I, you know, I think when you sort of put things in, in that sort that level of perspective, yes, Missouri is spending more than they have uh, in the past. But again, but that goes back to in, my point. They're still in the forties and fifties overall in expenses. Exactly. They they've increased, and so has everybody else. And if you're if you're okay, like you know, being a similar program to Ole Miss, then that's what that's what Missouri is at this point. Um, Ole Miss has more staff pay. Well, yeah, well, I was going to say, like, uh, with a little better uh, historical. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, that really, that's it. Like, that's the difference. I mean, Ole Miss has a new facility that's, like, freaking awesome. Uh, you know, like, Kermit Davis makes slightly less than Consul Martin, but not much. Um, like, that's the reality of college sports now. So I I would like Missouri to spend more, Matt. I would like them to spend it more strategically. So, uh, you know, we're just not throwing money around. But I would like them to spend more because I would like for Missouri to be really good at basketball. I find it's more fun to write about really good teams. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, although, you know, I'll, I'll still do wonky crap about teams that lose a lot. you <laughs> Hey, I, I wrote through the Cam Anderson years. I don't, yeah, I don't I'm never gonna. I'm not gonna get hazard pay the way you did. So, um, that's true. But no, hopefully, I, the last thing I would say is, and and I I feel like some people would think that I'm being an apologist or that I'm making excuses. You can feel free to want Missouri to be better. I think that's a good thing that you know fans look at the program and they have passion and they want you know, Missouri to be relevant. They want to feel like the thing they invest their time and their emotional energy in returns something back to them. I just think it's, it's hard for me and I, and I'm a broken record on this. It's hard for me to get upset about a program's performance when I know that it's basically operating at, at the level that its resources would indicate or would be commensurate with. And I just find it's hard for me to get upset at like Zoe and with recruiting and everything when, you know, essentially that ire is can be summed up as we want the coach we hired to overachieve. Now that may get some people upset and say, how dare you say that he's making 3 million a year? That's fine again, but what you're asking is for a program that's, you know, been 10th or 11th in the SEC in spending, 10th or 11th in recruiting, 10th or 11th in attendance to push for top six, top five, top four. 
you're asking for it to overachieve. And is that a reasonable expectation? Is my expectation that, you know, they're going to win 18, 19, that at this level, the way they're operating, they're going to you know, get into the tournament two out of every four years. And, you know, maybe the right core comes along and they go on a big run. Is my expectation, you know, really setting a low bar or is it just realistic for what it is? And is someone, you know, saying, you know, we, I want this program to be in the top 25 consistently. And I wish, you know, we were landing top 50, top 75 guys with more regularity. Is that reasonable given everything we've talked about? And, you know, I'm not going to tell you not to feel that way. I just think that that sets up disappointment that kind of is unnecessary. And you know, it's up, it's on Missouri and it's on, you know, Jim Sterk and it's on Martin to sort of disprove that or sort of, you know, show that you know, their plan is going to result in a program that meets hopes and expectations for the people who pay money and who donate to the, and give them their time. So I, I think that's my only thing. It's just, I would hope that people over time can start to kind of calibrate expectations in a way that's reasonable for where the program is right now. Great. So uh, be on the lookout for Matt's very uplifting piece on how Missouri doesn't spend money. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't necessarily mean that they can't land uh, guys like Aiden Shaw or Chandler Jackson, uh, who I think we both think uh, could really help uh, boost Missouri's profile. Oh, and, oh and breaking. Guess who just came across the wire? Guess who just came that? across? Guess who got an offer? Who got J- an offer? Jason Green. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Um, so, yeah, so Hollander was totally watching Jason Green. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, sometimes my eyes are okay, I guess. I mean, oh, man, I love that offer. That's a great offer. Um, woo. That, 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 that is a... Oh boy, I I would encourage people to go look up his highlights. He's a fantastic kind of like hybrid wing. Um, but he yeah. does a lot. He does a lot of things well. Like yep. he's he's a he's I would call him like a winning basketball player. He's he's not like a standout guy, but he is a winning basketball player. That he is. Um, but I just thought you'd like to know that um, my foresight was actually documented live for our listeners. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we're going to wrap this up. My, uh, my birthday is tomorrow, uh, Matt, I turn, uh, 29. Um, (laughs) that is not true at all, but, uh, yeah, so we are recording Tuesday, July 13th. We will be back in two weeks. Um, I believe, uh, BK and Nate will be back again. I don't know if you checked out their their latest pod, but Nate Mm -hmm. interviewed, uh, a couple lawyers on the NIL stuff and it was really fascinating. So I encourage everybody to check it out. If you're like, I don't really care about this, uh, this football stuff. I'm only into basketball. Go back into your feed and listen to that podcast because it's really informative on, on how the, the law side of the NIL stuff works. It's really, really fascinating. So great job, Nate on that. Uh, but yeah, you and I will be back in a couple weeks. Um, and we can talk about Jason green. <laughs> Uh, So until then, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Uh, Enjoy your uh, mid-July doldrums of of college sports. Hopefully uh, Eli and and so can knock a few more recruits in the bag. We can can actually have some news like this. But uh, until uh, two weeks from now, thanks for tuning in.